This is a recording of John Keats's Endymion, a poetic romance from 1818, read by Michael Elliott. The text is from the 21st Century Oxford Authors series, edited in 2017 by John Barnard. This is Book 3 of 4. There are who lord it o'er their fellow men with most prevailing tinsel, who unpen their buying vanities to browse away the comfortable green and juicy hay from human pastures. Or, O oh, torturing fact, who, through an idiot blink, will see unpacked fire-branded foxes to sear up and singe our gold and ripe-eared hopes. With not one tinge of sanctuary splendor, not a sight able to face an owl's, they still are dight by the blear-eyed nations in empurpled vests and crowns and turbans. With unladen breasts, sane of blown self-applause, they proudly mount to their spirit's perch, their being's high account, their tip-top nothings, their dull skies, their thrones, amid the fierce, intoxicating tones of trumpets, shoutings, and belabored drums, and sudden cannon. Ah, how all this hums in wakeful ears, like uproar past and gone, like thunder clouds that spake to Babylon and set those old Chaldeans to their tasks. Are then regalities all gilded masks? No, there are throne seats unscalable, but by a patient wing, a constant spell, or by ethereal things that unconfined can make a ladder of the eternal wind, and poise about in cloudy thunder tents to watch the abysm birth of elements. I, above the withering of old-lipped fate, a thousand powers keep religious state in water, fiery realm, and airy born, and, silent as a consecrated urn, holds sphery sessions for a season due. Yet, Few of these far majesties, ah, few, have bared their operations to this globe. Few who, with gorgeous pageantry, enrobe our piece of heaven, whose benevolence shakes hand with our own series, every sense filling with spiritual sweets to plenitude, as bees gorge full their cells. And, by the feud twixt nothing and creation, I here swear, eternal Apollo, that thy sister fair is of all these the gentlier mightiest. When thy gold breath is misting in the west, she unobserved steals unto her throne, and there she sits, most meek and most alone, as if she had not pomp subservient, as if thine eye, high poet, was not bent towards her with the muses in thine heart, as if the ministering stars kept not apart, waiting for silver-footed messages. O moon, the oldest shades among oldest trees feel palpitations when thou lookst in. O moon, old boughs lisp forth a holier din the while they feel thine airy fellowship. Thou dost bless everywhere with silver lip kissing dead things to life. The sleeping kine couched in thy brightness dream of fields divine. Innumerable mountains rise and rise, ambitious for the hallowing of thine eyes. And yet thy benediction passeth not one obscure hiding place, one little spot where pleasure may be sent. 
The nested wren has thy fair face within its tranquil can, and from beneath a sheltering ivy leaf takes glimpses of thee. Thou art a relief to the poor, patient oyster where it sleeps within its pearly house. The mighty deeps, the monstrous sea, is thine, the myriad sea, O moon. Far-spooming ocean bows to thee, and Tellus feels his forehead's cumbrous load. Cynthia, where art thou now? What far abode of green or silvery bower doth enshrine such utmost beauty? Alas, thou dost pine for one as sorrowful. Thy cheek is pale for one whose cheek is pale. Thou dost bewail his tears who weeps for thee. Where dost thou sigh? Ah, surely that light peeps from Vesper's eye, or... What a thing is love! Tis she, but lo, how changed, how full of ache, how gone in woe! She dies at the thinnest cloud. Her loveliness is wan on Neptune's blue, yet there's a stress of love's spangles just off yon cape of trees, dancing upon the waves as if, waves as if to please the curly foam with amorous influence. Oh, not so idle, for down-glancing thence she fathoms eddies and runs wild about o'erwhelming watercourses, scaring out the thorny sharks from hiding-holes and frightening their savage eyes with unaccustomed lightning. Where will the splendor be content to reach? Oh, love, how potent hast thou been to teach strange journeyings. Wherever beauty dwells, in gulf or airy, mountains or deep dells, in light, in gloom, in star or blazing sun, thou pointest out the way, and straight tis one. Amid his toil thou gavest Leander breath, thou ledest Orpheus through the gleams of death, thou madest Pluto bear thin element, and now, O winged chieftain, thou hast sent a moonbeam to the deep, deep water-world to find Endymion. On gold sand, impearled with lily-shells and pebbles milky-white, Poor Cynthia greeted him, and soothed her light against his pallid face. He felt the charm to breathlessness, and suddenly a warm of his heart's blood. T'was very sweet. He stayed his wandering steps, and half entranced laid his head upon a tuft of straggling weeds, to taste the gentle moon and freshening beads lashed from the crystal roof by fishes' tails. And so he kept, until the rosy veils mantling the east by Aurora's peering hand were lifted from the water's breast and fanned into sweet air, and sobered morning came meekly through billows, when, like taper flame left suddenly by a dallying breath of air, he rose in silence, and once more gan fare along his fated way. Far had he roamed, with nothing save the hollow vast that foamed above, around, and at his feet, save things more dead than Morpheus's imaginings. Old rusted anchors, helmets, breastplates, large of gone sea warriors, brazen beaks and targe, rudders that for a hundred years had lost the sway of human hand, gold vase embossed with long-forgotten story. And wherein no reveller had ever dipped a chin but those of Saturn's vintage. 
moldering scrolls writ in the tongue of heaven by those souls who first were on the earth, and sculptures rude in ponderous stone, developing the mood of ancient knocks. Then skeletons of man, of beast, behemoth, and leviathan, and elephant, and eagle, and huge jaw of nameless monster. A cold, leaden awe these secrets struck into him, and unless Diane had chased away that heaviness, he might have died. But now with cheered feel he onward kept, wooing these thoughts to steal about the labyrinth in his soul of love. What is there in thee, moon, that thou shouldst move my heart so potently? When yet a child I oft have dried my tears, when thou hast smiled, thou seemst my sister, hand in hand we went from eve to morn across the firmament. No apples would I gather from the tree till thou hadst cooled their cheeks deliciously. No tumbling water ever spake romance, but when my eyes with thine thereon could dance. No woods were green enough, no bower divine, until thou lifted up thine eyelids fine. In sowing time ne'er would I dibble take or drop a seed till thou wast wide awake, and in the summer tide of blossoming no one but thee hath heard me blithely sing and mash my dewy flowers all the night. No melody was like a passing sprite if it went not to solemnize thy reign. Yes, in my boyhood, every joy and pain by thee were fashioned to the selfsame end, and as I grew in years, still didst thou blend with all my ardors. Thou wast the deep glen, thou wast the mountain top, the sage's pen, the poet's harp, the voice of friends, the sun, thou wast the river, thou wast glory one, thou wast my clarion's blast, thou wast my steed, my goblet full of wine, my topmost deed, thou wast the charm of women, lovely moon. Oh, what a wild and harmonized tune my spirit struck from all the beautiful. On some bright essence could I lean and lull myself to immortality. I pressed nature's soft pillow in a wakeful rest, but, gentle orb, there came a nearer bliss. My strange love came, felicity's abyss. She came, and thou didst fade and fade away. Yet not entirely, no, thy starry sway hast been an under-passion to this hour. Now I begin to feel thine orby power is coming fresh upon me. Oh, be kind, keep back thine influence, and do not blind my sovereign vision. Dearest love, forgive that I can sink away from thee and live. Pardon me, airy planet, that I prize one thought beyond thine argent luxuries. How far beyond! At this a surprised start frosted the springing verdure of his heart. For as he lifted up his eyes to swear how his own goddess was past all things fair, he saw far in the concave green of the sea an old man sitting calm and peacefully. Upon a weeded rock this old man sat, and his white hair was awful, and a mat of weeds were cold beneath his 
cold, thin feet, and ample as the largest winding sheet, a cloak of blue wrapped up his aged bones, overwrought with symbols of by the deepest groans of ambitious magic. Every ocean form was woven in with black distinctness, storm, and calm, and whispering, and hideous roar, quicksand, and whirlpool, and deserted shore were emblemed in the wolf. With every shape that skims, or dives, or sleeps, twixt cape and cape, the gulfing wail was like a dot in the spell, yet look upon it, and twould size and swell to its huge self, and the minutest fish would pass the very hardest gazer's wish, and shew his little eyes anatomy. Then there was pictured the regality of Neptune, and the sea-nymphs round his state, in beauteous vassalage, look up and wait. Beside this old man lay a pearly wand, and in his lap a book, the which he conned so steadfastly that the new denizen had time to keep him in amazed ken, to mark these shadowings and stand in awe. The old man raised his hoary head and saw the wildered stranger, Seeming not to see, his features were so lifeless. Suddenly he woke as from a trance. His snow-white brows went arching up, and like two magic plows furrowed deep wrinkles in the fo his forehead, large, which kept as fixedly as rocky marge, till round his withered lips had gone a smile. Then up he rose, like one whose tedious toil had watched for years in forlorn hermitage, who had not, from mid-life to utmost age, eased in one accent his o'erburdened soul, even to the trees. He rose. He grasped his stole with convulsed clenches waving it abroad, and in a voice of solemn joy that awed echo into oblivion, he said, Thou art the man. Now shall I lay my head in peace upon my watery pillow. Now sleep will come smoothly to my weary brow. O oh, Jove, I shall be young again, be young. O oh, shell-born Neptune, I am pierced and stung with new-born life. What shall I do? Where go when I have cast this serpent skin of woe? I'll swim to the sirens, and one moment listen their melodies, and see their long hair glisten. Anon upon that giant's arm I'll be that writhes about the roots of Sicily. To northern seas I'll in a twinkling sail, and mount upon the snortings of a whale to some black cloud, thence down I'll madly sweep on forked lightning to the deepest deep, where through some sucking pool I will be hurled with rapture to the other side of the world. Oh, I am full of gladness. Sisters three, I bow full-hearted to your old decree. Yes, every god be thanked, and power benign, for I no more shall wither droop and pine. Thou art the man. Endymion started back, dismayed, and like a wretch from whom the rack tortures hot breath and speech of agony, muttered, 
What lonely death am I to die in this cold region? Will he let me freeze and float my brittle limbs o'er polar seas? Or will he touch me with his searing hand and leave a black memorial on the sand? Or tear me piecemeal with a bony saw and keep me as a chosen food to draw his magian fish through hated fire and flame? Oh, misery of hell, resistless, tame, am I to be burnt up? No, I will shout until the gods through heaven's blue look out. Oh, Tartarus, but some few days agone her soft arms were entwining me, and on her voice I hung like fruit among green leaves. Her lips were all my own, and ah, ripe sheaves of happiness, ye on the stubble droop, but never may be garnered. I must stoop my head and kiss death's foot. Love, love, farewell. Is there no hope from thee? This horrid spell would melt at thy sweet breath. By Diane's hind feeding from her white fingers, on the wind I see thy streaming hair, and now by pan I care not for this old mysterious man. He spake, and walking to that aged form looked high defiance. Lo, his heart gan warm with pity, for the grey-haired creature wept. Had he then wronged a heart where sorrow kept? Had he, though blindly contemptuous, brought reum to kind eyes, a sting to humane thought, convulsion to a mouth of many years? He had, in truth, and he was ripe for tears. The penitent shower fell as down he knelt before that careworn sage who trembling felt about his large dark locks and faltering spake. Arise, good youth, for sacred Phoebus's sake. I know thine inmost bosom, and I feel a very brother's yearning for thee steal into mine own. For why, thou openest the prison gates that have so long oppressed my weary watching. Though thou knowst it not, thou art commissioned to this fated spot for great enfranchisement. Oh, weep no more, I am a friend to love, to loves of yore. I, hadst thou never loved an unknown power, I had been grieving at this joyless hour. But even now, most miserable old, I saw thee, and my blood no longer cold may gave mighty pulses. In this tottering case grew a new heart, which at this moment plays as dancingly as thine. Be not afraid, for thou shalt hear this secret all displayed now, as we speed towards our joyous task. So saying, this young soul in age's mask went forward with the carrion side by side, resuming quickly thus while ocean's tide hung swollen at their backs and jeweled sands took silently their footprints. My soul stands now past the midway from mortality, and so I can prepare without a sigh to tell thee briefly all my joy and pain. I was a fisher once upon this main, and my boat danced in every creek and bay. Rough billows were my home by night and day, the seagulls not more constant, for I had no housing from the storm and tempests mad, but hollow rocks, and they were 
palaces of silent happiness, of slumberous ease, long years of misery have told me so. Aye, thus it was one thousand years ago. One thousand years! Is it then possible to look so plainly through them, to dispel a thousand years with backward glance sublime, to breathe away as twere all scummy slime from off a crystal pool, to see its deep, and one's own image from the bottom peep? Yes, now I am no longer wretched thrall. My long captivity and moanings all are but a slime, a thin pervading scum, the which I breathe away and thronging come like things of yesterday, my youthful pleasures. I touched no lute, I sang not, trod no measures, I was a lonely youth on desert shores, my sports were lonely mid continuous roars and craggy aisles and seamews, plaintive cry, plaining discrepant between sea and sky. Dolphins were still my playmates, shapes unseen would let me feel their scales of gold and green, nor be my desolation. And full oft, when a dread water spout had reared aloft its hungry hugeness, seeming ready ripe to burst with hoarsest thunderings, and wipe my life away like a vast sponge of fate, some friendly monster pitying my sad state has has dived to its foundations, gulfed it down, and left me tossing safely. But the crown of all my life was utmost quietude. More did I love to lie in cavern rude, keeping in wait whole days for Neptune's voice, and if it came at last, hark, and rejoice. There blushed no summer eve, but I would steer my skiff along green shelving coasts to hear the shepherd's pipe come clear from airy steep, mingled with ceaseless bleatings of his sheep. And never was a day of summer shine, but I beheld its birth upon the brine, for I would watch all night to see unfold heaven's gates, and when Aethon snort his morning gold wide o'er the swelling streams, and constantly at brim of daytide upon some grassy lee, my nets would be spread out, and I at rest. The poor folk of the sea country I blessed with daily boon of fish most delicate. They knew not whence this bounty, and elate would strew sweet flowers on a sterile beach. Why was I not contented? Wherefore reach at things which, but for thee, O Latmian, had been my dreary death? Fool! I began to feel distempered longings to desire the utmost privilege that Ocean's sire could grant in benediction, to be free of all his kingdom. Long in misery I wasted, ere in one extremist fit I plunged for life or death. To internet one's senses with so dense a breathing stuff might seem a work of pain. So not enough can I admire how crystal smooth it felt and buoyant round my limbs. At first I dwelt whole days and days in sheer astonishment, forgetful utterly of self-intent, moving but with the mighty ebb and flow. Then, like a new-fledged bird that first doth shew his spreaded feathers to the morrow chill, I tried in fear the pinions of my will. T'was freedom. 
and at once I visited the ceaseless wonders of this ocean bed. No need to tell thee of them, for I see thou hast been a witness. It must be, for these I know thou canst not feel a drouth by the melancholy corners of that mouth. So I will in my story straightway pass to more immediate matter. Woe, alas, that love should be my bane. Ah, Scylla, fair, why did poor Glaucus ever, ever dare to sue thee to his heart? Kind stranger youth, I loved her to the very white of truth, and she would not conceive it, timid thing. She fled me, swift as seabird on the wing, round every isle and point and promontory, from where large Hercules wound up his story far as Egyptian Nile. My passion grew the more, the more I saw her dainty hue gleam delicately through the azure clear until twas too fierce agony to bear, and in that agony, across my grief it flashed that Circe might find some relief, cruel, enchantress. So above the water I reared my head and looked for Phoebus's daughter. Aea's isle was wandering at the moon. It seemed to whirl around me, and a swoon left me dead drifting to that fatal power. When I awoke, twas in a twilight bower, just when the light of morn with hum of bees stole through its verdurous matting of fresh trees. How sweet, and sweeter, for I heard a lyre, and over it a sighing voice expire. It ceased, I caught light footsteps, and anon the fairest face that morn e'er looked upon pushed through a screen of roses. Starry Jove, with tears and smiles and honey words. She wove a net whose thraldom was more bliss than all the range of flowered Elysium. Thus did fall the dew of her rich speech. Ah, art awake? Oh, let me hear thee speak, for Cupid's sake. I am so oppressed with joy. Why, I have shed an urn of tears as though thou wert cold, dead, and now I find thee living. I will pour from these devoted eyes their silver store, until, exhausted of the latest drop, so it will pleasure thee, and force thee, stop here, that I too may live. But if beyond such cool and sorrowful offerings thou art found of soothing warmth, of dalliance supreme, if thou art ripe to taste a long-loved dream, if smiles, if dimples, tongues for ardor mute, hang in thy vision like a tempting fruit, oh, let me pluck it for thee. Thus she linked her charming syllables, till indistinct their music came to my o'er-sweetened soul, and then she hovered over me and stole so near that if no nearer it had been this furrowed visage thou hadst never seen. Young man of Latmos, thus particular am I that thou mayst plainly see how far this fierce temptation went, and thou mayst not exclaim, How then was Scylla quite forgot? Who could resist? Who in this universe? She did so breathe ambrosia, so immerse my fine existence in a golden clime. She took me like a child of suckling time and cradled me in roses. 
Thus condemned, the current of my former life was stemmed, and to this arbitrary queen of sense I bowed a tranced vassal. Nor would thence have moved, even though Amphion's harp had wooed me back to Scylla or the billows rude, for as Apollo each eve doth devise a new apparelling for western skies, so every eve, nay, every spendthrift hour shed balmy consciousness within that bower. And I was free of haunts umbrageous, could wander in the mazy forest house of squirrels, foxes shy, and antlered deer, and birds from coverts innermost, and drear warbling for very joy, mellifluous sorrow, to me newborn delights. Now, let me borrow for moment's view a temperament as stern as Pluto's scepter, that my words not burn these uttering lips, while I, in calm speech, tell how specious heaven was changed to real hell. One morn she left me sleeping. Half awake I sought for her smooth arm and arms and lips to slake my greedy thirst with nectarous camel draughts, but she was gone whereat the barbed shafts of disappointment struck in me so sore that out i ran and searched the forest o'er wandering about in pine and cedar gloom damp awe assailed me for there gan to boom a sound of moan an agony of sound sepulchral from the distance all around then came a conquering earth thunder and rumbled that fierce complaint to silence while i stumbled down a precipitous path as if impelled i came to a dark valley groaning swelled poisonous above my ears and louder grew the nearer i approached a flame's gaunt blue that glared before me through a thorny break this fire like the eye of gordian snake bewitched me towards and i soon was near a sight too fearful for the feel of fear in thicket hid i cursed the haggard scene the banquet of my arms my arbor queen seated upon an uptorn forest root and all about her shapes wizard and brute laughing and wailing groveling serpenting showing tooth tusk and venom bag and sting oh such deformities old charon's self should he give up a while his penny pelf and take a dream among rushes stygian it could not so be fantasied fierce wan and tyrannizing was the lady's look as over them a gnarled staff she shook oft times upon the sudden she laughed out and from a basket emptied to the rout clusters of grapes the which they ravened quick and roared for more with many a hungry lick about their shaggy jaws avenging slow anon she took a branch of mistletoe and emptied on it a black dull gurgling file groaned one and all as if some piercing trial was sharpening for their pitiable bones she lifted up the charm appealing groans from their their poor breasts went suing to her ear in vain remorseless as an infant's beer she whisked against their eyes the sooty oil 
whereat was heard a noise of painful toil, increasing gradual to a tempest rage, shrieks, yells, and groans of torture pilgrimage, until their grieved bodies gan to bloat and puff from the tail's end to its stifled throat. Then was appalling silence, then a sight more wildering than all that horse affright. For the whole herd, as by a whirlwind risen, went through the dismal air like one huge python antagonizing Boreas, and so vanished. Yet there was not a breath of wind. She, she banished these phantoms with a nod. Lo, from the dark came waggish fawns and nymphs and satyrs stark with dancing and loud revelry, and went swifter than centaurs after rapine bent. Sighing, an elephant appeared and bowed before the fierce witch, speaking thus aloud in human accent. Potent goddess, chief of pains resistless, make my being brief, or let me from this heavy prison fly, or give me to the air, or let me die. I sue not for my happy crown again, I sue not for my phalanx on the plain, I sue not for my lone, my widowed wife, I sue not for my ruddy drops of life, my children fair, my lovely girls and boys. I will forget them, I will pass these joys, ask not so heavenward, so too, too high, only I pray as fairest boon to die, or be delivered from this cumbrous flesh, from this gross, detestable, filthy mesh, and merely given to the cold, bleak air. Have mercy, goddess, Circe, feel my prayer. That cursed magician's name fell icy numb upon my wild conjecturing. Truth had come naked and saber-like against my heart. I saw a fury wetting a death-dart, and my slain spirit, overwrought with fright, fainted away in that dark lair of night. Think, my deliverer, how desolate my waking must have been. Disgust and hate and terrors manifold divided me as spoiled amongst them. I prepared to flee into the dungeon core of that wild wood. I fled three days, when, lo, before me stood glaring the angry witch. Oh, dis, even now a clammy dew is beating on my brow, at mere remembering her pale laugh and curse. Ha! Ha! Sir Dainty, there must be a nurse made of rose-leaves and thistle-down express to cradle thee, my sweet, and lull thee. Yes, I am too flinty hard for thy nice touch. My tenderest squeeze is but a giant's clutch. So, fairy thing, it shall have lullabies unheard of yet, and it shall still its cries upon some breast more lily-feminine. Oh, no, it shall not pine and pine and pine more than one pretty trifling thousand years, and then twere pity, but fate's gentle shears cut short its immortality. See, flirt, young dove of the waters, truly I'll not hurt one hair of thine. See how I weep and sigh that our heart-broken parting is so nigh. And must we part? Ah, yes, it must be so. Yet ere thou leavest me in utter woe, let me sob over thee my last adieus and speak a blessing 
Mark me, thou hast thews immortal, for thou art of heavenly race, but such a love is mine that here I chased eternally away from thee all bloom of youth, and destined thee toward a tomb. Hence shalt thou quickly to the watery vast, and there, ere many days be o'erpassed, disabled age shall seize thee. And even then thou shalt not go the way of aged men, but live and wither, cripple, and still breathe ten hundred years. Which gone, I then bequeath thy fragile bones to unknown burial. Adieu, sweet love, adieu. As shot stars fall, she fled, ere I could groan for mercy. Stung and poisoned was my spirit. Despair sung a war-song of defiance against all hell. A hand was at my shoulder to compel my sullen steps. Another for my eyes moved on with pointed finger. In this guise enforced, at the last, by ocean's foam, I'd, I found me by my fresh, my native home. Its tempering coolness to my life akin came salutary as I waded in. And with a blind, voluptuous rage, I gave battle to the swollen billow ridge and drave large froth before me. While there yet remained hale strength, nor from my bones all marrow drained. Young lover, I must weep. Such hellish spite with dry cheek who can tell? While thus my might proving upon this element dismayed, Upon a dead thing's face my hand I laid, I looked, twas Scylla, cursed, cursed Circe, O vulture witch, hast never heard of mercy? Could not thy harshest vengeance be content, But thou must nip this tender innocent, Because I loved her? Cold, Oh, cold indeed were her fair limbs, and like a common weed the sea-swell took her hair. Dead as she was, I clung about her waist, nor ceased to pass fleet as an arrow through unfathomed brine, until there shone a fabric crystalline, ribbed and inlaid with coral, pebble, and pearl. Headlong I darted. At one eager swirl gained its bright portal, entered, and behold, twas vast and desolate and icy cold, and all around, but wherefore this to see, who in few minutes more thyself shalt see? I left poor Scylla in a niche and fled. My fevered parchings up, my scathing dread met palsy halfway. Soon these limbs became gaunt, withered, sapless, feeble cramped and lame. Now let me pass a cruel, cruel space without one hope, without one faintest trace of mitigation or redeeming bubble of colored fantasy, for I fear twould trouble thy brain to loss of reason. And next tell how a restoring chance came down to quell one half of the witch in me. On a day, sitting upon a rock above the spray, I saw grow up from the horizon's brink a gallant vessel. Soon she seemed to sink away from me again, as though her course had been resumed in spite of hindering force. So vanished 
and not long before arose dark clouds and muttering of winds morose. Old Aeolus would stifle his mad spleen, but could not. Therefore all the billows green tossed up the silver spume against the clouds. The tempest came. I saw that vessel's shrouds in perilous bustle, while upon the deck stood trembling creatures. I beheld the wreck, the final gulfing, the poor struggling souls. I heard their cries amid loud thunder rolls. Oh, they had all been saved, but crazed eld annulled my vigorous cravings, and thus quelled and curbed. Think on it, O Latmian. Did I sit writhing with pity in a cursing fit against that hell-born Circe. The crew had gone by one and one to pale oblivion, and I was gazing on the surges prone with many a scalding tear and many a groan when at my feet emerged an old man's hand grasping this scroll and this same slender wand. I knelt with pain, reached out my hand, and had grasped these treasures, touched the knuckles, they unclasped. I caught a finger, but the downward weight o'erpowered me. It sank. Then gan abate the storm, and through chill anguish gloom outburst the comfortable sun. I was athirst to search the book, and in the warming air parted its dripping leaves with eager care. Strange matters did it treat of, and drew on my soul page after page, till well-nigh won into forgetfulness. When stupefied, I read these words, and read again, and tried my eyes against the heavens, and read again. Oh, what a load of misery and pain each atlas line bore off! A shine of hope came gold around me, cheering me to cope strenuous with hellish Tyranny, attend, for thou hast brought their promise to an end. In the wide sea there lives a forlorn wretch, doomed with enfeebled carcass to outstretched his loathed existence through ten centuries, and then to die alone. Who can devise a total opposition? No one. So one million times ocean must ebb and flow, and he oppressed. Yet he shall not die, these things accomplished, if he utterly scans all the depths of magic and expounds the meanings of all motion, shapes, and sounds, if he explores all forms and substances straight homeward to their symbol essences, he shall not die. Moreover, and in chief, he must pursue this task of joy and grief most piously. All lovers, tempest-tossed, and in the savage, overwhelming lost, he shall deposit side by side, until time's creeping shall the dreary space fulfill, which done, and all these labors ripened, a youth by heavenly power loved and led shall stand before him, whom he shall direct how to consummate all. The youth-elect must do the thing, or both will be destroyed. Then, cried the young Endymion, overjoyed, we are twin brothers in this destiny. 
Say, I entreat thee, what achievement high is in this restless world for me reserved? What, if from thee my wandering feet had swerved, had we both perished? Look, the sage replied, dost thou not mark a gleaming through the tide of diverse brilliances? Tis the edifice I told thee of, where lovely Scylla lies, and where I have enshrined piously all lovers, whom fell storms have doomed to die throughout my bondage. Thus discoursing, on they went, till unobscured the porches shone, which hurryingly they gained, and entered straight. Sure, never since King Neptune held his state was seen such wonder underneath the stars, turn on some level plain where haughty Mars has legioned all his battle, and behold how every soldier with firm foot doth hold a his even breast, see many steeled squares and rigid ranks of iron, whence who dares one step? Imagine further, line by line, these warrior thousands on the field supine, so, in that crystal place, in silent rows, poor lovers lay at rest from joys and woes. The stranger from the mountains, breathless, traced such thousands of shut-eyes in order placed, such ranges of white feet and patient lips all ruddy. For here death no blossom nips. He marked their brows and foreheads, saw their hair put sleekly on one side with nicest care, and each one's gentle wrists with reverence put crosswise to its heart. Let us commence, whispered the guide, stuttering with joy, even now. He spake, and trembling like an aspen bough, began to tear his scroll in pieces small, uttering the while some mumblings funeral. He tore it into pieces, small as snow that drifts unfeathered, as when bleak northerns blow, and having done it, took his dark blue cloak and bound it round Endymion, then struck his wand against the empty air times nine. What more there is to do, young man, is thine, but first a little patience. First undo this tangled thread and wind it to a clue. Ah, gentle, tis as weak as spider's skine, and shouldst thou break it. What, is it done so clean? A power overshadows thee, O oh, brave. The spite of hell is tumbling to its grave. Here is a shell, tis pearly blank to me, nor marked with any sign or charactery. Canst thou read aught? Oh, read, for pity's sake, Olympus, we are safe. Now, Carrion, break this wand against yon lyre on the pedestal. Twas done, and straight with sudden swell and fall, sweet music breathed her soul away and sighed a lullaby to silence. Youth, now strew these minced leaves on me, and passing through those files of dead, scatter the same around, and thou wilt see the issue. Mid the sound of flutes and viols ravishing his heart, Endymion from Glaucus stood apart, and scattered in his face some fragments light. How lightning swift the change, a youthful white smiling beneath a coral diadem, outsparkling sudden like an un up turned gem appeared, and stepping to a beauteous course, kneeled down beside it, and with tenderest force pressed its cold hand and wept. And Scylla sighed, and Dimion with quick hand the charm applied, the nymph arose, 
He left them to their joy, and onward went upon his high employ, showering those powerful fragments on the dead. And as he passed, each lifted up its head, as doth a flower at Apollo's touch. Death felt it to his inwards. Twas too much. Death fell a-weeping in his charnel house. The Latmian persevered along, and thus all were reanimated. There arose a noise of harmony, pulses and throes of gladness in the air, while many who had died in mutual arms, devout and true, sprang to each other madly, and the rest felt a high certainty of being blessed. They gazed upon Endymion. Enchantment grew drunken, and would have its head and bent. Delicious symphonies, like airy flowers, budded and swelled, and full-blown shed full showers of light, soft, unseen leaves of sounds divine. The two deliverers tasted a pure wine of happiness from fairy press oozed out. Speechless, they eyed each other, and about the fair assembly wandered to and fro, distracted with the richest overflow of joy that ever poured from heaven. Away, shouted the newborn god, follow and pay our piety to Neptunus supreme. Then Scylla, blushing sweetly from her dream, they led on first, bent to her meek surprise, through portal columns of a giant size, into the vaulted, boundless emerald. Joyous all followed, as the leader called, down marble steps, pouring as easily as hourglass sand, and fast as you might see swallows obeying the south summer's call, or swans upon a gentle waterfall. Thus went that beautiful multitude, nor far ere from among some rocks of glittering spar just within ken they saw descending thick another multitude, whereat more quick moved either host. On a wide sand they met, and of those numbers every eye was wet, for each their old love found. A murmuring rose like what was never heard in all the throes of wind and waters. Tis past human wit to tell, tis dizziness to think of it. This mighty consummation made, the host moved on for many a league, and gained and lost huge sea-marks, vanward swelling in array, and from the, from the rear diminishing away, till a faint dawn surprised them. Glaucus cried, Behold, behold the palace of his pride, God Neptune's palaces. With noise increased, they shouldered on towards that brightening east. At every onward step, proud domes arose in prospect, diamond gleams and golden glows of amber against their faces leveling. Joyous and many as the leaves in spring, still onward, still the splendor gradual swelled. Rich opal domes were seen, on high upheld by jasper pillars, letting through their shafts a blush of coral. Copious wonder-draughts each gazer drank, and deeper drank more near, for what poor mortals fragment up as mere as marble was there lavish, to the vast of one fair palace that far, 
far surpassed even for common bulk those olden three, Memphis and Babylon and Nineveh. As large, as bright, as coloured as the bow of iris, when unfading it doth shew beyond a silvery shower, was the arch through which this Paphian army took its march into the inner courts of Neptune's state, whence could be seen direct a golden gate to which the leaders sped but not half wrought ere it burst open swift as fairy thought and made those dazzled thousands veil their eyes like callow eagles at the first sunrise soon with an eagle nativeness their gaze ripe from gold hue golden swoons took all the blaze and then behold large neptune on his throne of emerald deep Yet not exalt alone, at his right hand stood winged love, and on his left sat smiling beauty's paragon. Far as the mariner on highest masked can see all round upon the calmed vast, so wide was Neptune's hall. And as the blue doth vault the waters, so the waters drew their doming curtains high, magnificent, awed from the throne aloof. And when storm-rent disclosed the thunder-gloomings in Jove's air, but soothed as now, flashed sudden everywhere, noiseless, submarine cloudlets, glittering death to a human eye, for there did spring from natural west and east and south and north a light as of four sunsets, blazing forth a gold-green zenith above the sea-god's head of lucid depth the floor and far outspread as breezeless lake on which the slim canoe of feathered indian darts about as through the delicatest air air verily but for the portraiture of clouds and sky this palace floor breath air but for the amaze of deep-seen wonders motionless and blaze of the dome pomp reflected in extremes globing a golden sphere they stood in dreams till triton blew his horn the palace rang the nereids danced the sirens faintly sang and the great sea-king bowed his dripping head then love took wing and from his pinions shed on all the multitude a nectarous dew the ooze-born goddess beckoned and drew fair Scylla and her guides to conference and when they reached the throned eminence she kissed the sea-nymph's cheek who sat her down a-toying with the doves then mighty crown and scepter of this kingdom venus said thy vows were on a time to nias paid behold Two copious teardrops instant fell from the god's large eyes. He smiled delectable, and over Glaucus held his blessing hands. Endymion! Ah, still wandering in the bands of love? Now this is cruel. Since the hour I met thee in earth's bosom, all my power have I put forth to serve thee. What, not yet escaped from dull mortality's harsh net? A little patience, youth, twill not be long, or I am skillless quite, an idle tongue, a humid eye, and steps luxurious, where these are new and strange, are ominous 
I, I have seen these signs in one of heaven when others were all blind, and were I given to utter secrets, haply I might say some pleasant words, but love will have his day, so wait a while expectant. Prithee soon, even in the passing of thine honeymoon, visit my Cytherea. Thou wilt find Cupid well-natured, my Adonis kind, and pray persuade with thee, Ah, I have done, and blisses be upon thee, my sweet son. Thus the fair goddess, while Endymion knelt to receive those accents halcyon. Meantime a glorious revelry began before the water-monarch. Nectar ran in courteous fountains to all cups outreached, and plundered vines, teeming exhaustless, pleached new growth about each shell and pendant lyre. The which, in disentangling for their fire, pulled down fresh foliage and coverture for dainty toying. Cupid, empire sure, fluttered and laughed, and oft-times through the throng made a delighted way. Then dance and song and garlanding grew wild, and pleasure reigned. In harmless tendril they each other chained, and strove who should be smothered deepest in fresh crush of leaves. Oh, tis a very sin for one so weak to venture his poor verse in such a place as this. Oh, do not curse, high muses. Let him hurry to the ending. All suddenly were silent. A soft blending of dulcet instruments came charmingly, and then a hymn. King of the stormy sea, brother of Jove, and co-inheritor of elements, eternally before thee the waves awful bow. Fast stubborn rock at thy feared trident shrinking doth unlock its deep foundations hissing into foam. All mountain rivers lost in the wide home of thy capacious bosom ever flow. Thou frownest, and old Aeolus thy foe skulks to his cavern, mid the gruff complaint of all his rebel tempests. Dark clouds faint when from thy diadem a silver gleam slants over blue dominion. Thy bright team gulfs in the morning light and scuds along to bring thee nearer to that golden song Apollo singeth while his chariot waits at the doors of heaven. Thou art not for scenes like this, an empire stern hast thou, and it has furrowed that large front. Yet now, as newly come of heaven, Dost thou sit to blend an internet subdued majesty with this glad time? O shell-born king sublime, we lay our hearts before thee evermore. We sing and we adore. Breathe softly, flutes, be tender of your strings, ye soothing lutes, nor be the trumpet heard. O oh, vain, O oh, vain, not flowers budding in an April rain, nor breath of sleeping dove, nor rivers flow, no, nor the Aeolian twang of love's own bow can mingle music fit for the soft ear of goddess Cytherea. Yet deign, white queen of beauty, thy fair eyes on our souls sacrifice. Bright-winged child, who has another care when thou hast smiled? Unfortunates on earth, we see at last all death shadows and glooms that overcast our spirits fanned away by thy light pinions. 
O sweetest essence, sweetest of all minions, God of warm pulses and disheveled hair and panting bosoms bare, dear unseen light and darkness, eclipser of light in light, delicious poisoner, thy venomed goblet will we quaff until we fill, we fill, and by thy mother's lips was heard no more for clamour when the golden palace door opened again, and from without in shone a new magnificence. On Uzi's throne, smooth-moving, came Oceanus the Old to take a latest glimpse at his sheepfold before he went into his quiet cave to muse forever. Then a lucid wave scooped from its trembling sisters of mid-sea afloat, and pillowing up the majesty of Doris and the Aegean seer, her spouse, next on a dolphin clad in laurel boughs, Thebian Amphion, leaning on his lute. His fingers went across it. All were mute to gaze on Amphitrite, queen of pearls, and Thetis, pearly too. The palace whirls around giddy Endymion, seeing he was there far strayed from mortality. He could not bear it, shut his eyes in vain. Imagination gave a dizzier pain. Oh, I shall die. Sweet Venus be my stay. Where is my lovely mistress? Well away, I die. I hear her voice. I feel my wing. At Neptune's feet he sank. A sudden ring of nereids were about him in kind strife to usher back his spirit into life, but still he slept. At last they interwove their cradling arms and purposed to convey towards a crystal bower far away. Lo, while slow carried through the pitying crowd to his inward senses, these words spake aloud written in starlight on the dark above. Dearest Endymion, my entire love, how have I dwelt in fear of fate? Tis done, immortal bliss for me too, hast thou won. Arise then, for the hen-dove shall not hatch her ready eggs before I'll kissing snatch thee into endless heaven. Awake, awake! The youth at once arose. A placid lake came quiet to his eyes, and forest green, cooler than all the wonders he had seen, lulled with its simple song his fluttering breast. How happy, once again, in grassy nest. You've been listening to Open Book, Season 3, which consists entirely of my readings of long poems or sequences. If you like what you hear, share it with a friend, or with 400 of your closest friends on social media. You can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and send me Michael Elliott comments and suggestions via email, ulliot at ucalgary.ca. Thanks for listening.